from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Chapter 7 The waiting room of the police station was long and grey and very quiet. It had the immediately recognisable atmosphere of all institutional waiting rooms, the remnants of a half-hearted attempt long since abandoned to make things pleasant for people who were forced to sit and do nothing while they contemplated some future disagreeable event. This room was furnished with dusty leather chairs that slowly leaked white stuffing onto the wooden floor. A scarred coffee table displayed old magazines, copies of L'Express and Paris Match dating from the Algerian War, and one incongruous issue of L. On top of the magazines, like a battered crown, rested a triangular Cinzano ashtray. It had been broken once and glued together. Hello and welcome to the show. This is, of course, uh, for Christ's sake. I am, of course, Hugh. You are, of course... Uh... I'm sake. No, I don't think that's it. No, I looked at my wrist and that's what it said. Okay, we'll go with that. And uh, we are plowing our way, plowing our merry way through uh, Michael Crichton's second published novel ever. Published not under his own name, but the name John Lange, Scratch One. All right, so uh, Hugh, normally we'd be joined by uh, two other co-hosts, namely, or four other co-hosts rather, then we are signature snacks and signature drinks. But unfortunately, this week I have a medical thing which uh, prohibits me from drinking at the moment. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to get back to our normal inebriated selves uh, next time we do this the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I am still snacking, but not on my signature snack. I'm just snacking on some vegetable root chips. Yuck. Pretty tasty. And uh, I have a mostly depleted cup of coffee mm. and no food no food at all no food at all well mm. so here's two absent friends here's the absent friends namely us getting sauce while reading this shitty book yep so let's see how fun this podcast is stone cold sober on that being said where are we in this story you mean what happened uh, in the first six chapters of this exciting tale yeah okay so uh our harried protagonist roger carr Mm. He who has been mistaken for an international spy assassin mm-hmm. after having suffered a uh, exploding aeroplane. I mean, he wasn't on it, but he was near it. It's got to shake you up a bit. Then um, some girl pulled a gun on him and vanished. And then uh, a guy in the street pulled a gun on him and then in turn was gunned down. Uh, in a drive-by shooting by a mysterious person in a car. Hmm. So as as we just heard, Carr is currently holed up in the waiting room of a police department. And um, 
you know he's sitting there, he's smoking, he's asking the, uh, the sergeant uh, what time it is. Because there's, there's uh, no clock in the waiting room, and his watch is broken. Yeah, it was, it was broken in the tussle. We don't often have occasion to celebrate the, uh, the prose itself in these uh, Michael Crichton novels, but I, I will just say, uh, I mean, maybe it's not the most elegant of sentences, but I did enjoy the observation about waiting rooms. I liked the way he captured the fact that there is that remnant of an attempt to make a waiting room less awful to be in mm. um, that has been abandoned long ago. I thought that was a good observation. Yeah, me too. Me too. Not especially profound, but accurate. Something that belonged in a better book than this. Yeah. Uh, so, so getting back to the book, so Carr is sitting there, he's smoking. He doesn't know what time it is. He keeps on asking the sergeant. He smokes so much that he runs out of cigarettes. I know, really throwing stuff right now, huh? Yep. And then what happens? How is he going to smoke now? Well, he bothers the sergeant to go buy him some more. But instead of the uh, smooth, uh, I guess, filtered cigarettes that he's used to as a pansy American, he gets rough, unfiltered, you know, cigarettes from France. Blah! And then he uh, smokes some of those. Finally... After smoking all those cigarettes, he's called into the, uh, you know, detective responsible for the case's uh, office. And uh, he's greeted by a gentleman by the name of, well, I guess this is his name and his title, or his rank, Captain Vakal. I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, he was a policeman. Yes, he is. And uh, then he gets interrogated. And uh, you know, I must say that uh, I found the next section to be very um, draining. <laughs> well, then he captured uh, the exact feeling of one Roger Carr. I think that's something that this book has done more so than odds on, is it has repeated a lot of itself over and over again. <laughs> and so uh, instead of getting any new information in this little chapter, we just get a run down of the, the plot again. Carr has put in the, a scenario that he's been in every single time in every chapter where someone has mistaken him for someone else. He doesn't know what they're talking about. And <laughs> for some reason, he doesn't be like, no, I'm not a spy. And the guy's like, oh. no, no. In this case, he, he does. does. He does try to protest. He, says, he, does try to protest. he says everything that actually happened to him. The only thing he withholds is the name of his client. Yeah. He does try to protest. But for some reason, you know, him protesting is not something that elicits a. A response from Beckard, who just assumes that he is a government American spy. And to you, let me tell you, I thought that reading this, I was about to tear my hair out. I was so like, I was getting very annoyed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, is there anything else in this chapter that's got to <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else to this chapter. I'm just scrolling through it now. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, Lissau, um mm. there's, there's, there's like a revelation at the end Which is, I guess, fairly obvious That Lissau was somehow involved In what just happened to Carr Which, which you assume that it would have Yeah and there, and there is one little bit of information That is not was not available in the last chapter Namely that Vicard tells uh, Our boy Carr That the gun That the man on the street uh, A you know, was pointing at him, was not loaded. Oh, that's true. So, ergo, there you go, ergo, his objective was something else. You know, using the, our genius powers of deduction, we can assume that because LaSalle in the last chapter was like, I want you to go bring me the car, that this man I was working for LaSalle, 
and he was attempting to get Roger Carr to come meet him, right? Um, and there is there is one bit of dialogue that I thought was pretty funny. I have to say, mm. when Picard uh, is like trying to put a uh, car on the back foot, there's this pretty hilarious uh, trade of thought that he goes down, which uh, I think we should uh, act it out together. How do you? What, what do you say? We can do a little. You mean uh, a, a segment of uh, Crichton Havoc and Let Slip? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. Tell me, do you attend horse races? Carr frowned, puzzled by this new line of questioning. No, not usually. Spend much time in casinos? No, I'm not the gambling type. And yet, as a man untrained in this sort of thing, you took a great gamble in fighting with an armed robber. How do you explain it? And that, that's all I wanted to, to do. Yeah, that was funny. I was like, that's the, st- <laughs> the stupidest like, way of tripping him up. Because yeah. obviously what Crane's going for there is like, you know, the typical police in- in- interrogation thing where they're like, you know, they put you on the back foot by talking about something that seems unrelated. But at this point, it's like, how do you connect the dot of gambling to... <laughs> so people who aren't literally gamblers yeah. never gamble with anything else in their life, never take a risk or anything like that, unless they're literally a gambler. That's that's the psychology at work, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I must say I shared uh, Kara's perspective with this. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so there's, there's one other thing we should cover, mm. which is how Carr actually gets out of the police station. Mm. Um, he doesn't convince Captain Vicar that he is who he says he is and that he's not involved in uh, whatever shenanigans he's being accused of. But in view of the lack of evidence, Captain Vicar decides to let him go anyway and implies that it's a favour and that next time he won't be so lenient. Carr remains totally ignorant of what's going on. I wish that he was uh, had some awareness of the situation that he was getting himself in, you know? I think the yeah, the problem is, um, this is like a tried and true story type, right? This is like a handful of Hitchcock films, at least, where someone is, is mistaken for the wrong person yeah. and gets embroiled in some sort of... North, uh, North, uh, Northwest being the most famous example of it, I yeah. believe. And the reason those stories work, and this one doesn't, is that you were not actually miles ahead of the protagonist. You're following along going, hey, what is happening to this guy? Obviously, he's being mistaken for the wrong person, but you don't actually know what's going on. Yeah, because those films, you know, use a pretty um, specific and localized point of view. While this book is not, it's diverse in its viewpoints. It shows why you need to take that approach with mistaken identity stories, because if you're like completely across everything that's happening with this uh, international operation, as we are. There's no mystery. It's just tedious to, like, keep up with Roger Carr, who is miles behind everyone else. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, for example, you know that scene that we argued about, you know, where he has a couple of phone calls where, you know, they clearly think he's the wrong person. And, and another annoying scene. I mean, that might have worked better 
as a just opening of the book. Yeah, like it's true. You know, Carr has just travelled to Nice. He's going to have a nice time. He's ogling girls and such on the beach. Then he gets this weird phone call. We don't know what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. And it progresses from there. Yeah, I feel like, you know, he's already been mistaken for this person so many times at this point. It's like, I, we get it. We understand. Like, there's, there's nothing more to be mined dramatically or comedically from this scenario. And yet I assume that the uh, scenario will be continued to mine for these exact beats over and over again. Well, let's, uh, let's see what happens in the next exciting chapter, shall we? Oh.